this is Byron. I uh, just want to put something out there. Yes, I am a mental health therapist. And yes, my couch is quite comfortable. However, if you're listening to this podcast, it is not a substitute for a therapeutic relationship with a certified or licensed mental health therapist. So though I appreciate you taking the time out to listen to me and hopefully gain some information and insight about what's going on with you from listening to this podcast, take the time to seek out mental health resources in your area if you so need to. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoy. Secret had another one. So a friend posted this on Facebook and got me thinking, what are some potential things people can do when they don't have the option or space for a home office to relax or try to turn off that feeling? Um, and there's a meme about how to wind down when the office and the living room are the same space. Uh, so I will uh, start with this one. Um, I read something a while back, um, way before pandemic. Uh, that it's been said that you should save certain rooms for their purposes, and that's why it's encouraged that you don't use bedrooms for, for play. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, not that, and not watching television in bed because it makes it harder for one to distinguish between the time to be awake and the time to be asleep. So, if I I fall asleep watching or listening to um, stand up comedy uh, because I have it. I have a hard time kind of quieting down my mind. I'm always really? thinking of stuff. Yes. Um, I I have a very difficult time falling asleep unless I have, like, um, I found that certain comedians that I've, I've watched their special once or twice or 30 times um, have a, a sort of white noise effect where I don't have to pay attention to what's going on. If it's something visual, like I've tried the Great British Baking Show, and Ooh. I want to pay attention to what's going on. Oh, it's it's great, dude. I love it. Yeah. So that's that's one of the deterrents, right? That's one of the reasons that they say uh, you shouldn't watch television in your bedroom when you're supposed to go to sleep. Because mm-hmm. the more you reserve that room for its purpose, the more you get out of it. Um, and pandemic do- times, of course, this is more difficult since working at home is more acceptable by employers. Um, and not all homes are big enough to allow reserving rooms for work. Um, so... I read something else a while back about hard reminders of when to turn off the work brain. And I think it applies here as well. So something physical, like literally hanging your hat when, when you're done with your work, is one way to tell your brain that the work is done. Um, other modifications these days could be like using a specific computer for work or something more portable like turning on a certain light when working and turning it off when you're done or putting an action or like Funko figure in sight uh, when you're working and putting it away when you're finished with the work day. So these are ways to sort of train your brain or trick your brain depending on how you look at it and saying that this is the time I need to focus on these tasks even though my surroundings may look familiar adding this one thing 
or putting this one thing away signifies that there's a transition. So, do you have any more to add to that one? Um, like I was joking when we were outside, like taking a walk around the park after dark. Shout out to Jill Scott. Um, I would have suggested like, like your kitchen table maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, because like before I, before I bought a, um, desk, I would do like some notes on like my kitchen table. Um, in my house, like, as we kind of, well, it was before we even transitioned out of, like, having a dedicated office space and going mobile, because I could get on Internet Explorer on my laptop and do notes from home. Um, so, like, a kitchen table is probably a good option. Like, definitely I would stray away from using the bedroom. Um, I ended up converting a spare room into my office in my house, because I got tired of being in my bedroom working um, during the pandemic. Um, but... Nah, that's the only thing I can. Yeah, I know the. Yes, I know the. Uh, the electronic medical records that my job uses is only accessible with Internet Explorer. So that's it's a, trash. That's a funny thing too. Is that <laughs> is that typically on a personal computer you can have multiple browsers. So oh, that's res- a good one. Reserving yeah. one browser specifically for work could be an indicator, especially if you dislike it. <laughs> yeah but we can that's probably a different situation um but you can reserve a separate browser for work that's um, a good idea yeah because we use explore i use it in, uh, only using it explore for work but then i use google chrome for everything else like when i do the podcast or if i'm just looking stuff up or linking stuff between apps i mean between devices like my ipad or my phone yeah i use um chrome so that's actually a good idea yeah, and um, I do a lot of my work on computer outside. Um, yeah, I did that too a little bit. Yeah, and every home, it, it may be minimal, your outside space, but every home has an outside, right? Um, so that could be another hard way of, of training yourself to, you know, like this is my work area, this is where I'm doing work, when I go inside, I'm done, that sort of thing. Uh, so that could be a good way to frame it as well and present uh, a space for work uh, even when there's not as much room inside of the home. Um, so that was that was that question. Yeah, we're working on getting a new medical record uh, system that may not use. I don't know what operating what uh, browser is gonna use, but yeah, there was a, like I specifically bought a iPad and a typing case for an iPad thinking that I could get on Chrome away from the office and do my notes on that when I first started working and nope nope cuz it only works on Internet Explorer so I so I just bought an iPad just to be like well okay now I'll just use this to pull up all my uh therapeutic resources that I use with my kids or play music on or show videos of somebody getting dunked on because my kids like sports <laughs> Hey fellas Hey girl, Hi. how's it going in here? I mean, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Yes, absolutely. It's great for uh for YouTube. Uh, I think I was showing one of my kids who likes basketball. I was talking about Grant Hill when he was like before he fr- shattered his ankle. I heard Grant Hill drinks Sprite. Grant Hill does drink Sprite. <laughs> um, how bad, like how badass he was before he got injured. He was like, "Yo, that's crazy, Mr. Brown." I was like, "Yeah, man." Hello, person in the background. Hi, I'm Coach's wife, if you're new here. 
Yes, that is the wife. That's my sister-in-law, y'all. Mrs. Portra, or what have you. Daniel was a machine. Yes, he was. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, uh, the next question uh, <laughs> was from just Stigrit, and then we're going to get the, the other questions. Again, um, if, you've ha if you have some that pop up, or if you... Oh, my God, this is so dangerous. Um... <laughs> How long you gonna be able to stay there, girl? That's that's the questions I have. Listen, my knees are still a twenty year old's knees. Uh, okay. Until I stand back up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's why. That's why. That's why Megan. That's why Megan actually work out. That's why the knees so strong. Uh -huh. if, if you if you hear a snap, crackle, pop. If you don't use them, you lose them. <laughs> All right. Um, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the so the next question before we switch on to uh, someone else's questions. Um, was from Egret. Uh, I'm also curious for you guys what made you interested in going into this field. Was there a specific reason? Do you find it comes naturally? Um, I was the friend that everybody got advice from um, in high school. Uh, one of my closest friends was absolutely like the Byron, I'm having issues with this relationship and this guy. Can you you know, tell me, you know, blah, 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 blah. I was like, all right. So this is like the fourth time we've had this conversation and we keep going around boundaries, people, boundaries with your friends. We keep having this conversation. Um, also, I believe that I had some some really traumatic experiences happen in my life, in my, uh, in my upbringing. Um, so it, it kind of like delving into and figuring out like how the human psyche works and stuff like that, I think was something that, I wanted to look into is like to try to help myself um but does it come naturally absolutely it does like i especially it comes naturally not just in the professional stance of it but also as a parent as well so i think the adage or i, I think if someone has heard you're a good listener um mm. i think a lot of therapists who end up taking up that mantle have heard that many many times that's what? why I almost went into therapy. Yeah. I was my undergrad. I was a psych major, and Hang for the same the reason. <laughs> Hang on to the rest of your thought. <laughs> oh. Oh, that was it. I just I almost went into therapy for the same reason you said. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I I heard you're you're a great listener so much from like every woman I've ever talked to except for one. <laughs> transition. <laughs> transition. <laughs> but um, like I'm definitely like. I'm Christian by upbringing and still even to this day I'm not quite as religious as I was when I was younger and I wasn't super super religious then but um I absolutely believe in the notion of the idea that we have a purpose in life and that when you find your purpose it is the thing that is driven that you are driven to do that you know that it is fulfilling that sometimes you find a purpose and the purpose also becomes your profession you get paid for it but it is the thing that aligns with what you're strongly interested in what you're strongly uh, aligned with being able to do as far as your characteristics as a person and the thing that you devote so much of your time and energy to so you know um working with kids has absolutely been what is my life's purpose outside of being a father? Um, so yeah, I'm definitely a natural at it. Uh, so what made me interested in going into the field, I 
think I shared this on your podcast, actually. I think so. Um, yeah, you did. You did. So, uh, I remember there was a... There are certain things I think you take from phases of life. Um, and I remember being at a... Uh, at a, uh, a birthday party in like sixth grade and I remember um, when, when we got there it was everyone was together and everything and then before long people just started to form cliques and to go off and some people were left behind um, so I started to see like the, the human behavior at that point which is a fairly early age but it happens even earlier of, of how individuals will kind of leave others out to their own designs. So then, you know, of, of course that made me, that I, that really stuck with me because my mind and my thoughts were, because there were often times I was that person, um, my mind and my, my thoughts went to what happens to these people who aren't in these cliques? What happens to these people who are made fun of these by these cliques or what happens to these people who are just left alone in this empty space? Who's there for them? And over time, you know, like with that and growing up and the angst of, you know, that age and seeing mm. the way adults by nature tend to demand respect and just blind obedience or, you know, complete obedience yeah, that um, from earlier. youth, um, not a lot of attention, not a lot of hearing is there for young people. And they are young people. They're not children in this regard. They're not adolescents in this regard. They're young people. Um, and they are starting there to find their personality and to define who they are and what's important to them. And this doesn't end when you become an adult. This is just the start of a lifelong phase. And I wanted to help. I wanted to be a listener and I wanted to provide an ear to people in this demographic because my, my, my specialty is child adolescent therapy. Um, Same. Yeah. So, so my emphasis, uh, what became my emphasis, was because I wanted to lend an ear to a group of people who I felt weren't being heard and weren't being listened to, and I'm not sure which one is worse. So, so that's why I got into that specialty, and it's it's very rewarding because like even at the youngest ages, um, play is play is. The, the language of children, right? They will tell you so many things through how they play. Um, I've seen some really messed up shit conveyed through the way that children play, the items that they select. So child parent psychotherapy um, is you furnish like a playroom and you just observe. And uh, so if there's like a client that I um, that I know whose father was murdered in the house, right? Mm. Um, I would have the house. I would have people of, of, of different presentations. Um, I would have emergency vehicles. I would have doctor kits, that sort of thing. And in play, this, because the format was, was zero to six for, for child parent psychotherapy, this small child before long would gravitate towards the home and put figures that they felt represent the people in the family. They would find their father. They would find someone to represent the person who shot their father. The father's figure would fall down 
a, mer- a, a, a toy ambulance will be brought there to the house. The, 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 the figure that represents the father will be loaded into the ambulance, brought away, and then there's the doctor kit. The child will try to save the father. So, and I get shaken up sometimes because I remember these things clearly, mm. you know. Um, but children have a lot going on. They're little people. And uh, we don't always grant them the honor of uh, listening to them in their way. They don't always have the words. Adults don't always have the words. So how can we expect children to always have the words? So that's why I gravitated to that word. Um, so that was that was that's how I got into the field. That's why I, <laughs> the funny thing is I considered being a lawyer at once, um, mm. but then I uh, I was like, you know what? I don't know if I can defend people I disagree with who I feel like seriously did something bad. And then I become a counselor and I have to do it anyway, but for much, <laughs> le- for much less money. For much less money. So, for so much less money. So, so yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I think it comes naturally to me because since a very early age, uh, I felt like I picked up on people's emotions very easily. Um, I've listened as best I could uh, because I have many times found that I wasn't heard. And there were times when I would make sure I wasn't hurt, you know, for reasons of my own upbringing. And um, someone needs to be there. Someone needs to be there. So, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, Igar uh, says, young culture was a very deep for a sixth grader. Yes. Um, so six years later, young culture would say this. Um, the smallest stream wears down the largest boulder as his senior quote in our yearbook. Oh my God. Now, now this very deep intellectual man, um, believe it or not, in the yearbook is followed by this handsome gentleman here in alphabetical order, to which I said, love, life, and friendships are privileges. Cherish them because you'll never know when they'll be taken away. And we're both therapists. That's how we got here. Uh, <laughs> how did I know when you were going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> it just popped in my head. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I don't have my yearbook on me, but I don't know if you still have yours. And mine are at my house. Uh, I think Trina put those. Yeah, they were with me in Hattiesburg. So that's how, well, we didn't have that much damage to the house. But yeah, like most of my high school stuff was with me when we were up there. So Why you had your high school yearbooks with you at college? I... So you know, you know the situation that's going on in, in my life right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also that way. I took pretty much everything mm-hmm. when I left. Mm-hmm. There was, I was like, I ain't never coming back here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I did the same thing. There was like very few things left in that room when I left. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, there are various members of the helping professions. So. Our paths could easily have gone into, you know, like a doctor or nursing or mm-hmm. social work or anything like that. All these are colloquially known as helping professions, teachers, um, and they all have the same, a similar end result, right, is supporting and uplifting youth. Um, and a lot of us tend to be Hufflepuffs, so... <laughs> You know, I don't, there's that. I don't know nothing about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to get you to do the sorting hat. 
secret I mean, called you wholesome. Look, I'm a Jedi. Like it's it is what it is. I'm a Jedi, but I don't know nothing about that 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 uh, Harry Potter life though. Um. So yeah, that was Egrets. Okay, Lieutenant Zoom uh, had the next question in Discord. Uh, do we need a break? Are we good? Um, we can take a brief break. How are you doing? Um, I'm okay. Okay. Uh, well then, uh, let's keep rolling. <laughs> I am a this, is, this is happy meals. Um, <laughs> just secret thing for gifting us up, Lieutenant Zoom. So, Lieutenant Zoom uh, said, I have Someone some some really bad panic <laughs> attacks. My biggest triggers. Uh, I have some really bad panic attacks. My biggest trigger is sounds. I've gotten better over the years at reacting better, but sometimes it seems like it's a tough task when you can't escape it sometimes. I always want to be the best version of myself I can be. I'm looking for ways of coping with certain situations that leave me out. That make me feel so intense inside that's like I'm always almost vibrating sometimes, though. It makes me really tough to navigate. By far worse when waking up. I've had some really messed up experience being related to... Being woken up in the past, I wake up most days hyper alert, terrified, and scared for the first hour I'm up because I'm kind of freaking out just from waking up. My question would be how to better manage things like that that I know about myself but can't quite figure out the way to get the best results out of myself in my tense moments. Okay, um, so that is the question. Um, so I'll go ahead and do one of my things, then I'll get back to you, and then we have some exercises we can do. Uh, so. As the disclaimer says, uh, don't take this as professional opinion, uh, as we're not in the appropriate format for the work. Uh, but I'll say that you touched on a number of symptoms that are classically present with trauma. Um, an EMDR or eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, uh, which is another. You good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We good. Um, so uh, another, the other training um, that I underwent. Uh, for a specific modality is EMDR, so eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, and that was created by Dr. Francine Shapiro, um, and it said that trauma is negative events that have not been appropriately processed. So basically, bad shit happens, and our brain, instead of learning from it and filing it away where it belongs so we can cope, has held on to it, and this reappears in seemingly unrelated ways. So EMDR, the format. Um, it's typically done by a clinician specially trained in it, sitting with the client and conducting robust screening and assessment ahead of time. And then they'll go through uh, eight specific phases. And the heaviest phases, or the, the work, the heavier work phases, I guess you could say, arguably, uh, they'll have you follow their finger back and forth a number of times um, and uh, encourage you to just mention what comes to mind and notice it. Now, they'll, they'll do these. They'll do diagonally. Uh, they have light bars they can use. They have um, they have different uh, ways that you can do it online, like a, a dot going back and forth that you track with your eyes. Anyway, um, so they'll do that, and they'll encourage you to just mention what comes to mind and notice it. And it's like magic, the things that are unlocked at this time, the things that were intentionally or unintentionally blinded from ourselves, memories and feelings that were buried but always there. These things often manifest as symptoms associated with depression and anxiety until they're properly identified and processed as trauma. And this could be something you're experiencing. Um, a lot of times, a lot of times, we, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do the EMDR movements, and someone will say something, and we'll say, "Just go with that." 
so you know they'll go on just go with that and then suddenly like something like a phrase a key phrase okay go with that and then that phrase will bring back something else of that memory different pieces of this memory that was long gone years ago or recent and just blinded or you're blacked out um something like someone's touch at the time go with that and then the the feelings of fear of that touch go with that you know so that's how the process of emdr goes and i bring that up because you mentioned a really messed up experience being related to being woken up in the past it's possible that there are ties to a trauma that was crystallized from something that happened around that time and though what you are experiencing as anxiety and depression may be anxiety or depression um, but we often find that if we dig a little deeper there's also trauma there and if you recall from the aces uh, we talked about earlier there's a lot of shit that happens in life that we either breeze by or intentionally block up or don't remember for whatever reason um, so we'll get your input before we go into some exercises okay um something i mentioned um to Corsha earlier is like maybe something like a grounding exercise like um there's a grounding exercise that i do with some of my clients um where they identify things in descending order um, based upon their senses so like five things in the room that you can see four things that you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. So you wake up first thing in the morning, you know, first thing that you see, you know, like maybe your TV or your cell phone, the lamp, um, your blanket. If you have a pet, um, you know, that might be the pet. Like, so if I'm looking in my room, in my bedroom, I'll see my phone, my dog, my cat, um, lamp the bathroom and like the window so then four things out here is like the alarm uh, my echo that's still playing like the sleep sounds that I fell asleep on uh, my dog snoring um, and maybe uh, the cat that's in my attic that keeps getting in there yes I've confirmed it's a cat Okay, you found it out. That's good. It's not a ghost. Yeah, it is a cat. It's a black and white cat. Kind of looks like Vader. Um, three things I can um, what? Yeah, three things I can smell. Um, the dog. <laughs> um, something in the house, like in the kitchen, that I might have cooked last night. I am very certain it is a cat. Yes, my cat is named Vader. Yes, his name is Vader. My dog is named Leela. Uh, like Futurama, Leela. Um, so, like, three things I can smell. Like, you know, air in the room. Um, the dog, because he might have farted or she's, like, laying right next to me. So, um, and then, like, maybe toothpaste. And then two things I can, you know. So, you go in that order, right? And then, like, you taste toothpaste because you just brush your teeth, right? Um, that's an example of that. Um, another example that Rick's got on here is, uh, I can go to it. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, grounding is a big part of, uh, dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT. Um, it focuses, <laughs> not CBT, uh, DBT. It focuses on the here and the now, the present. Um, 
it's said that that um, depression and anxiety are time traveling, right? So depression, you're focusing on things that happened in the past. That's where your brain is. And anxiety, you're focusing on things that could happen and often never do, but things that could happen that are distressing. Mm. So you're time traveling, right? Um, one of the goals, one of the primary goals of DBT is being present and in the moment. So things like Byron just said, something as simple as feeling where you are, feeling your feet on the ground, feeling uh, your butt in the chair, just paying attention to the senses that are going on. Uh, there are things um, like uh, progressive muscle relaxation. Yeah. Uh, so you can, um, and I'll go more into detail with other exercises after this, but uh, progressive muscle relaxation is one thing that I remember doing either uh, karate or uh, yoga or something. Um, so you'd start uh, with your toes. So you'd like clench your toes and hold them in tight. Just pull them in tight to your feet and then like tighten your feet. And fist, then, fist with your toes. Yeah, fist with your toes and tighten your calves and your thighs and then your butt. And you move up and you hold it. Even, like when you're at the top, you're holding it holding everything tight, squinting your eyes, and then you slowly relax one thing at a time. And that's one way of being in the moment and relaxing your body physically. Um, so here's one exercise that we can go through. Um, so feel free to go along with it where you are um, if you want to. If not, that's fine. Uh, so this one is called the safe or calm place exercise, uh, and this is integrated in EMDR, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, it's called the safe or calm place exercise because not everyone feels like they have a safe place. So sometimes a calm place is the best you can get to. So one step in addressing this issue is increasing our access to positive memory networks that hold pleasant experiences. So we're looking to shift both our focus of attention and our state of mind at the same time. Okay, so if you're going to partake, um, start with a positive image of something like spending time with a friend or going to the park. Identify a place that feels calm or feels safe. Okay, so if you're comfortable, close your eyes and bring up an image of the scene and notice what you're noticing with all your senses. What sounds do you hear? What colors do you see? As you're here, what do you feel in your face, in your stomach, in your shoulders? If you're feeling good or calm, open your eyes and take a moment. So now we're going to try it again. So again, if you feel comfortable, close your eyes and go back to that safe or calm place. open your eyes again. Were you able to return to the same place and notice once more what was around you? So did you feel those feelings? Did you feel the air? Did you get the smells? Did you feel like you were there? If you felt positive feelings and you returned, find a word to go along with those feelings like calm or happy or maybe something that helps identify the place itself like park or beach. Now close your eyes again if you feel comfortable and return to that calm place once again this time with your word in mind.
open your eyes. Now, if you've been able to create this calm or safe place, feel free to return to strengthen your connection to your positive memory networks. Spend about a minute each time you visit your, your calm, safe place, around five times a day. And practicing this technique, it'll be easier for you to calm yourself and find peace when you really need it. So that's one of the introductory, uh, introductory um, elements of trying to self-manage uh, as you go through uh, distressors in life. Admittedly, the, the lesser distressors are more easily tackled with this. And of course, as they become more severe, if they become more severe, then it's courage to find you know, professional support. So you can expand upon this in a number of different ways. Uh, so one thing we're going to do here is if you participated in that exercise before, uh, we can go further. Okay. So once you have that safer, calm place, there's a, there's a way that can help to increase the positive feelings by using bilateral stimulation with alternate tapping. So it's important to monitor your sensations and thoughts, and if they begin to change into something negative, just stop and bring back your positive breathing pattern. And we notice that um, whenever we are scared or worried, our breathing tends to be more, it tends to be higher in our body. We feel it in our chest, it's more rapid, shorter breaths. But as we pay attention to our breath when we're calm and we're relaxed, they tend to be slower and deeper and in our stomach. So there are two methods to introduce this bilateral stimulation. One is just putting your hands on your thighs and tapping first one, and then the other. And when we concentrate on that safer calm place, we only tap slowly back and forth four to six times, and that's about five seconds. And we don't do long sets with this, and we don't do it very rapidly because the rapid or long sets are often used in EMDR reprocessing, and that can sometimes bring up unpleasant associations as new memories emerge. Because remember, we said earlier, sometimes things that were buried, oftentimes things that were buried and EMDR will resurface. We'll start to color that picture. It will gain more clarity. And sometimes that's upsetting. Oftentimes that's upsetting. Another way to do the stimulation is called the butterfly hug. And this was first developed in Mexico working with children following a hurricane. So to do it, you cross your arms in front of you with your right hand on your left shoulder and your left hand on your right. And then you tap your hands alternately on each shoulder, slowly, four to six times. And as you do it, try to bring up the image of the safe or calm place along with that positive word that you connected with it and allow yourself to go into that state of safety or calm. And when you have that sense, tap alternately on your thighs or, or with a butterfly hug four to six times, then stop and take a breath and see how it feels. So that's one way to sort of go a little further and get more out of that safe or calm place. Um, so those are some exercises that might help with some distressors um, throughout life. Uh, we typically uh, encourage those for something on a scale of 1 to 10 with 1 being uh, not that distressing and 10 being really distressing. Uh, we typically float around 3 to 5 maybe, uh, but higher than that. Uh, it's really important to have someone else, a professional there, uh, just in case stuff starts to get more severe or you start to slip into these memories of things that might be resulting in current stress. So um, those are some, uh, some exercises that you can use. Um, 
in your daily routine. Um, we talked about the grounding, we talked about safer calm place and how to sort of seal that in and strengthen that with bilateral stimulation. We talked about the importance of the um, identifying a, a keyword associated with that calm or safe place. So uh, beyond that, um, it's important to get professional support in identifying just what's down there at the roots of what you're experiencing. Sometimes it is depression. Sometimes it is anxiety. Sometimes it's trauma. And having pro professional support can help clarify what that is and can help you through that process. Um, I think now would be a good time to take a quick like three minute break and uh, then we can get back to the other questions. Um, the upcoming questions right now I see are gender roles and imposter syndrome. So we're going to get back to those. Those are big. Uh, imposter syndrome is one that um, when I started making the videos for, uh, for my private practice, um, I generally teach things that you can do or teach, um, teach what might be behind some things that you're experiencing. And when I was sitting out on the porch like two years ago, I asked my wife, I was like, you know, like, what are some ideas or whatever? And she gave me some ideas. I add them to this list. And one of the first things I put was imposter syndrome for myself. And to this day, two years later, I still have yet to do a video on imposter syndrome because of imposter syndrome. So uh, we all struggle with these sorts of situations. Um, we all may struggle with these sorts of situations. Uh, but therapists are not immune to it because uh, we're people too. And um, we're going to get into that in about three minutes. So, uh, so just hang tight, uh, grab a drink, uh, grab, <laughs> grab a bathroom break, uh, and we will be back shortly. Okay? And uh, we'll see y'all soon with more questions. So if you have more, throw them in the chat. Uh, we're still going through Discord. We're about halfway through the Discord questions uh, and about halfway through the stream. So we've got time. So uh, jot them down. Uh, mods, please help us stay on top of that. And we'll be back in three minutes, okay? See you soon. All right, it's been three minutes. I think it's probably been three minutes. So let's let's see what chat's been up to. Uh, Mount Slow, that was beautiful. I miss a lot. Keep trying that. A lot of what you said made a lot of sense. Maybe you definitely need to talk more about the shit. Like it says, sometimes we just don't know. Yeah, um, we need help navigating. Exactly. Uh, so I don't know if you're back. <laughs> I guess I could have checked. Uh, but yeah. Um, a lot of times we try to do so much, so much on our own, and I'm guilty of this. Um, I have, I went to therapy a couple of times, um, but I need to go back, and uh, I'm gonna go back. Uh, my wife uh, has <laughs> told me that you tell people all the time, you know, how to get help, um, but you don't do it yourself. I'd like to throw in sometimes, but it's often, I think. Uh, I'm one of those people, I think, who has who, who has an issue with taking his own medicine, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, it's about time. Um, now is a great time, I think, for, for therapy because with, with, uh, with some people, they don't want to go to an office. We talked about the spoons earlier, right? We talked about how difficult it is to do the things that we need to do or the things that we want to do 
and sometimes driving to that office is just enough for us to talk ourselves out of doing it. And uh, I prefer, I think I prefer the online format um, because I can partake in therapy from the comfort of my own home and all my clients are online. Um, I don't go to the office anymore. So um, half the time we're in our PJs, right? <laughs> and that's fine because I think um, while, while there is a lot to be said about the, the sterile setting of the office um, or the clinic, what have you, um, I think a lot of progress can also be made in the safety of the home. Now, when there are things like um, family issues or relationship dynamics at play, sometimes that's difficult, right? Because uh, maybe there are issues with the partner and you realize that the partner is probably trying to listen in on the session or whatever. So there are modifications for that and there are there are extra steps that need to be taken in online format, but um, yeah, I like it. And so far the clients that I have who were reticent to do it online um, have have come around and they realize that uh, that it work it can work for them. I think there's an age old image, right? And you see it in memes now still of uh, like the therapist couch of the client lying down and the therapist on the other side of the room with like pen and paper and jotting down notes and that sort of thing. Psychology, the study of psychology and counseling has been around for a little while now and um, technology has changed and sometimes people hold on to those images but as they explore more and they push their boundaries and they test what they're comfortable with, they find that online counseling can work for them. So during pandemic, I'm not sure I was going to call it pandemic prime, uh, like the first year, um, a lot of states relaxed their requirements. So they would let yeah. out-of-state clinicians provide therapy for clients in another state. Now every state, I'm not going to say it's because every state has a licensing board because they want their own money, but every state has their licensing board because they want their own money. Um, so every state has uh, their own board, and in order to provide therapy for a client in another state, you need to be licensed in that state, which means you need to send over all these documents. At, at the minimum, you need to send over all these documents, you need to pay all this money, you need to stay on top of it every two years, that sort of thing. Um, and the there's a movement uh, in the field of trying to get it unified because that makes sense, right? Uh, for a person in the United States to go to any therapist in the United States if they feel like they could vibe with them and open up. That makes sense to me. That's client focused to me, but we're not there yet. Yeah, mm -hmm. bureaucracy is hard. Yes, it is. Um, so, yeah, so in the first year, a lot of states lap, or, or relaxed their rules and you just had to provide like, you could have like a provisional license, so to speak, uh, which helped a lot. Now, a lot of states have pulled back from that since then, as the pandemic has dragged on. Uh, but still, I think telehealth uh, can be a very beneficial tool. And I think that that's something that I'm going to look into uh, for being a client again. Um, because I don't feel totally comfortable in being around people if I can avoid it at this phase, right? So, 
that's that. Um, I hope you all are doing well. Um, uh, let me run through these real quick before we get back into it. Just Egret, thank you for the host. Blue Dragon 1274, thank you for the follow. Nerdco Geo, thank you for the sub. Just Egret, thank you for gifting a sub to Lieutenant Zoom 23. So we're back to the questions. Uh, hope everyone's back and refreshed and feeling okay because we've, you know, we've traipsed into some things that might be upsetting. Might I'm not actually drunk. <laughs> well, well, we'll go hang out after this. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we we've covered things, which is it's it's mental health, right? Um, it goes back to that naming the trauma and and uh, that sort of stuff. Where if we just tiptoe around it, we can only do so much with it. But some of the things that we've talked about tonight may have struck a chord with you and may have uh, illuminated things that maybe are a little more troublesome still that you thought were gone. Um, so in that case, I encourage you to look into your options. Uh, if you have insurance, great. If not, look for someone with a sliding scale. If, if money is an issue for you, for some not, and that's awesome because the therapists love it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, look, look around, uh, psych, uh, there are, there are numerous sources like, um, Therapy Zen and, and Psychology Day and all kinds of stuff where you can find a therapist in certain modalities if you really want them, but I wouldn't push it down that route. Yeah. Um, different faiths, if faith is important to you, um, that sort of stuff. You can pick and choose who you want to work with. Yeah. And then things like telehealth options, like if you listen to podcasts, like I do, um, talk space, better help, um, or some other resources with like if you're interested in telehealth, which I do telehealth therapy um, for my own personal therapy, um, and it's been just as beneficial as being in person with somebody. And as a clinician who is really really busy because I have to drive to my clients, it's easy to fit in my schedule um, that I can just block an hour out of my day and be like, Hey, I got therapy, so I'm not going to be in y'all don't bother me. Um, so it's, it, it, it is definitely shown that it's just as beneficial. Not everybody connects as well with telehealth. Some of my younger kids don't do as well as my teenagers do with telehealth, but for adults, especially adult clients, like it is really a good, um, a good option for sure. Yeah. So we talk about therapy, um, in general, but, a very important part of therapy is the therapeutic relationship. So you are you are potentially going to someone to talk about the worst days of your lives. Mm. You're oftentimes going to someone in the worst days of your lives. Mm. And if you can't if you can't get a good feel with the person you're working with, then explore your options. On our side, we have on our side we have um, uh, codes of ethics that we have to subscribe by. Um, is that the right word? Subscribe to? Subscribe? By, subscribe. Yes, yeah, subscribe. That's, that's the one. Um, so we have code of ethics. Codes of ethics we have to follow. Now there is an important distinction. I won't complain too much about it. I promise between therapy and coaching. So coaching. We'll get to that. Therapy has all this legislation, all kinds of things that we need to do, we need to follow, shit that can get us in big trouble 
if you don't stick to it. Coaching does not. Coaching is not official. Coaching does not require anything. They have certifications and all because anyone will sell you a certification for anything in life. No. But there is no certification. There's no ethical board. There's nothing making sure that coaches don't fuck you up. I'm not saying that there are not good coaches out there. What I'm saying is that no one is holding them accountable. And that's a distinction between therapy and coaching. So just be aware of that. Sometimes coaching can make you feel good. A lot of times that's how it's driven. It's really sparkly, it's shiny, it sounds cool. But if you, if for some reason your therapist, social worker, counselor crosses a line, you can report them to the state board. And if they indeed cross the line, there's going to be hell to pay for them. So just bear in mind that the person you seek is important. Now, not the first, you're not always going to find the perfect therapist, whether they're a counselor or a social worker, whenever you first try, whenever you first set out. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Going back to that code of ethics, it's our, our, ethical, um, our ethical duty. If we feel we can't work with you for whatever reason, because everyone has their own biases and we try our best, we try our best to treat people with unconditional positive regard. Mm -hmm. um, but if we cannot work with somebody for whatever reason, then it is our duty to refer somewhere else. Now, you don't have to take those referrals, but we try to help you out in whatever way we can. Hey, this isn't working. I don't think this is getting you where you want to be, or I admit I'm having difficulty with this therapeutic relationship. I think it would be better if you pursue this person or this person, this person, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, um, So that's on our side. On your side, just let the therapist know, like, hey, can we try something else? Um, hey, um, I really don't think this part is working. And a good therapist will listen to you and will work with you on that. Now, I'm not saying that they won't push you because a lot of progress is made by pushing through. Mm -hmm. But as long as you give it a fair shot and you feel it's still not working because of a certain thing with this person you've gone to, then it's within your rights to go elsewhere. So I encourage you to, to pay attention to that therapeutic relationship and to see if you can work with someone. They don't have to be perfect, but can you work with someone? Because you can pick up things and you can get things resolved or to a safe place with somebody, and maybe that's as far as you go, and that's okay. Then you can see about going elsewhere. A lot of clients, I've not a lot of clients actually, a fraction of clients, but still enough for me to notice, will latch on to these certain modalities. So they'll say, I want cognitive behavioral therapy, or I want dialectic behavior therapy. Okay. I mean, I can do that. I'm not specifically trained in it, but I can do the practice. What are you looking for? And they don't know, right? So, so many times they see something or hear something and or someone says you should try this it will work for you it doesn't always so i wouldn't focus too much on modalities saying this is how i want to be treated i would focus more on saying hey i think this person might be a good fit for me and then let's open up uh thank you for 100 bits zen zoom um 
so yeah that's that's a little bit about the therapeutic relationship uh and the distinctions between coaching and therapy and uh yeah so that's a little segue uh we can get back to the questions now so just egret in discord um said this would be a good topic i think these predefined gender roles and the idea behind girl and boy toys and how to maybe redirect lines of thought and there was a meme about don't press toxic masculinity into my son he can pick flowers and they're not just for girls no issue cutting off communication to people who can't respect our parenting and our son's feelings that sort of thing so uh, i'll speak from my experience and then we can shift to byron um so there there is very very early and, and i'll admit so this is remember i talked a moment ago about our ethical duty to refer out if we don't feel we are uh, a, a capable fit or, or capable or um a good fit or you know whatever we're still learning as well so there's uh and and gender identity is something that's gotten so much traction in such a recent amount of time there's it's so the knowledge base has blown up so much compared to before um so this is one of those things though that it's always been a thing literally from birth right um before birth so think of how many times whether there's a forest fire or not uh there is a gender reveal party um <laughs> so think of all the think of all the the blue stuff and the pink stuff and that's it right um th <laughs> uh there's there there are gender reveals there's um as soon as like someone maybe one of their parents finds out uh they're having a little girl maybe they'll go buy like hair bows and you know like mommy's little princess shirts and that sort of stuff yeah. you know like this is ingrained from a very early age right um but gender is part of that exploration process, right? It's part of that path that you take throughout life, and you feel that out for yourself. It's not solely based on what your genitals look like when you're born. That's how it's often assigned. That's how it's generally assigned. But um, there are so many variations to just that. Like uh, in a uh, in a training about this a couple years ago, um, the doctor who presented it had like images of twenty four different variations of like one one type of genitalia, another type of genitalia, combined types of genitalia. It's a lot, right? It's a lot. So don't focus so much on the body parts determining who you are, right? It's just a body part. But in my experience with this. Um, in my experience with this, um, my daycare, the, the daycare for my kid, um, he was, I don't know, like three maybe, um, and he was getting let out of school and, uh, they didn't have, one of the things about the school is that they, they didn't celebrate Halloween, uh, so you couldn't wear costumes, but they did have Prince and Princess Day. So your child was expected to dress as a prince if he was a boy um or dress as a princess if if she were a girl and you know you know um 
labeled as a boy or girl. That's that's what we're going with here. Um, so they had that, and one of the days, uh, just in general, they had a party, right? And um, and he was coming out of school, and uh, the teacher had a bunch of pink balloons, and uh, and one blue balloon, and he reaches for a pink balloon, and the teacher says, "No, no, no." The the person who ran the daycare says, "No, those are those are for girls. Here, have a have a blue balloon." He's like, "I don't want a blue balloon. I want a pink balloon." And had I not been there and said, "You know what? It's okay. Boys can like pink. He can have a pink balloon." Shout out to the Hart the Hart family. Yeah. Um. So we got a pink balloon, and he was able to go. But had I not been there, it would have been reinforced that boys can only have blue if given the option blue and pink, and girls can only have pink. If given the option blue and pink, so that was my experience of at three years old. You know, we didn't we didn't announce what we were having. We didn't even pay attention to what we were having until <laughs> until my child was born. Um, oh. So we kept it a secret partly because we knew that my wife's mom would go and buy bows and stuff if it were a girl, and tractors and everything if it were a boy, um, labeled. Um, so we waited until the birth to find out, um, and uh, <laughs> uh, it came out, and uh, and it was a tuft of red hair that yeah. emerged, and uh, <laughs> my wife and her and her OBGYN or whatever uh, <laughs> said we made a ginger. <laughs> so like <laughs> the the introduction to my child was not boy or girl; it was ginger. Congregation, would you turn your text to the book about cast? Chapter 2, verse 1, the first one that feel me Jump up and make a joyful noise, you thought cast it Meaning, now you have a choice like that